Well, good morning. My name is Craig. I'm the preaching pastor for those of you that are new. If you're a guest this morning, we're glad that you're, you're with us. And it is our prayer that you will encounter the living God this morning. I hope that's happened in our time of, of music together. Um, and so we're going to um, continue on with the sermon series. The back projector is not on. Is that... Be, oh, there it is. Sorry. Maybe the front... <laughs> Never mind. The technical people got it all under control back there. Uh, so we've been in a series about, about Joseph, and, and I, I love Joseph, and, and we're going to wrap it up so there's a lot more story here, really, than I've had time to preach through. I would encourage you to read, preach through, to read through, to preach through, to read through uh, the story of Joseph uh, in beginning Genesis chapter uh, 38. But let's, let's do a little quick uh, review. The first thing we kind of started out with was Joseph when he was uh, at home, and he was that spoiled brat kid, and they, they talked about killing him. Uh, and so we kind of said this, that, that Joseph grew up in a really dysfunctional home. I mean, like a really, really dysfunctional home. As, as dysfunctional as some of your homes were, probably nobody seriously tried to kill anybody or sell anybody into slavery. And if they did, you grew up in a really dysfunctional home, okay? And yet God used Joseph in powerful sorts of ways. Uh, and, and so we sometimes think that we have to have it all together in order for God to use us. And we kind of ended up saying this, God has not chosen you because you have it all together, Thanks be to God. Maybe he chose you because you don't have it together and he wants to show what he can do with so little. Amen? Yeah. Let's just be honest about that. God works like that. Um, And we kind of talked about the fact that really the only thing Joseph had going for him was his willingness. I mean, when he he starts out in this, he is a mess. He just is, he's a mess. And the only thing he has is he just keeps following God and keeps pursuing God, even when life gets really, really hard over and over and and over uh, again. Uh, And then we we had, we talked about when he kind of got sold into slavery and and all of that. And we, we talked about, what do you do when God betrays you? Now, you all know God doesn't actually betray you, but it feels like it sometimes. Amen. When you get, if you haven't been in that place and you haven't suffered enough yet, or you haven't suffered yet, <laughs> there, there, there's this place, and then we kind of talked about, I trust God, and just trusting God with that place where it feels like it, it's all apart, and, that, all apart. and that's um, kind of been where I've been living with the whole cancer kind of thing, is I trust God. I just, I trust God. Say, I trust God. Look to your neighbor and say, I trust God. Yeah, I trust God, whether it works out the way I want it to work out, and I definitely have a preferred outcome, or whether it doesn't, I trust God. Amen? Amen. So we talked about that. And then, and then the last one, we talked about Potiphar's house. What happens when you're there? Uh, what if God is preparing you, not punishing you? What, what if you're in Potiphar's house and God is training you up for what he wants to do with you? That's what happened in Potiphar's house, and we're going to kind of see the end of that story uh, today and how that training to become the head of that household and organized, and this kid that was this arrogant, strange little guy becomes this great administrator, and then God uses that later on. So we want to talk now kind of about the next stage in Joseph's life, and and I I apologize, we're going to have to wrap it up, so there's going to be a lot of kind of story here. I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, I got a run over a bunch of really good stuff, uh, but, but again, go back and read it. And so um, we, when last we left Joseph, he was back in prison again. This poor guy, the end of every story, he's in trouble in some sort of way, and now he is in the king's prison, right? And the same thing that happened before, he uses his great administrative skills, and he becomes second only to the jailer, right? But second only to the jailer ain't all that great. <laughs> but, but that's where he is. He's, he's second only to the jailer, and time goes by. And eventually, uh, 
the, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh becomes upset with his baker and with his cupbearer and sends them into prison. Uh, and they have a couple of dreams, uh, and they, they're like, we don't understand what these dreams are. And, and they go to Joseph, and Joseph says, I can interpret these. God can interpret these. Uh, and he says basically this to the baker, you're going to die, okay? Yay, what a wonderful interpretation. You know, and it comes true. And he says to the cupbearer, uh, you're going to get restored, right? And he says, when you get restored, remember me to Pharaoh. And a little time passes, and he gets restored. Do you think he remembers him to Pharaoh? No, of course not. He doesn't remember him. So, excuse me, I'm going to have to, part of the chemo is my nose. And so, this is like that in the midst of it. And so, um, Cupbearer completely forgets about Joseph. He's just so happy to be the cupbearer. Cupbearer, by the way, in, in the ancient world was a really important position. It wasn't just that you tasted the food. You were an advisor to the Pharaoh. This is a big deal. This is someone very close to, to him. Uh, and so a couple years go by, two years according to Scripture, and Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dream. Uh, and then the cupbearer thinks, hey, you know, it's in my interest to remember. Hey, there was this guy when I was in prison that was really good at interpreting dreams. It came true both for the baker and, and for me. Maybe you should try him out. So they go down, they grab Joseph out of prison, they clean him all up and they dress him all up and, and he's probably this skinny little guy that doesn't get enough to eat and he is standing in front of the most powerful person in the world probably at this point, right? Get this image. Pharaoh, advisors, gold, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. And, and, and here's little, you know, Joseph down there. <laughs> and he looks at Joseph and said, I hear you can interpret dreams, you know. And Joseph, being a smart guy, says, actually not me, but God. <laughs> uh, what, did you have, what did you have in mind here, Pharaoh? And so Pharaoh tells him uh, his dream, uh, and he says to him, here's the deal, Pharaoh. You are going to have seven years of plenty, of more crops than you know what to do with. God is going to bless the land in amazing sorts of ways. But then you're going to have seven years of famine. And in the ancient world, famine was a really big deal. Like, Nothing is going to grow for seven years. And then he proceeds to give Pharaoh a game plan. He says, you need to find somebody and put him in charge of this whole thing and save up the stuff so that you'll have some at the end. And Pharaoh looks at little old Joseph down there who has just been in prison and was a slave before that and says, I think you're the man for this. Right? You can see all of Pharaoh's court going, what did you just do? You know? And so I just want to give you that scripture. It's... Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 41, uh, beginning at 41, it says this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Let that sink in for a minute, you know. Like 20 minutes earlier, he was in prison. And now he is set over all of the land of Egypt, okay? Then Pharaoh took his, his signet ring, which was like a signature in those days, from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And clothed them in garments. Remember Joseph? That what he wears always tells you what's going on. He started out with a coat of many colors. And that got stripped away from him. And then he's in, in Potiphar's house. And she pulled a cloak away from him. And he ended up naked. And he ended up naked in jail. And now he is wearing the clothing of the second banana in the most powerful country in the world. Okay? This guy has a clothing thing. I'm telling you. Okay? <sighs> And he uh, clothed in garments of fine linen, and he put golden chain around his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Do you remember what he dreamed people would do? 
bow to him, okay? And they called him out before him, bow the knee. Then he set him over all of the land of Egypt. And then it goes on to say, moreover, okay? It wasn't done yet. That sounded like pretty good stuff. It wasn't done. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name. Anybody know how to pronounce that? Close enough. And he, I can't pronounce it either. And he gave him, <laughs> gave him in marriage Asenath. Okay, that one I got. And the daughter Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Wow! I mean, that's a big change in less than a half hour. And, and, and I mean, really, this happened really fastly, kind of this, this moment in which God fulfills it. But there's an important lesson that's connected here because, I mean, he goes you know, like from the slave to the, to the prison to the prison to the, to the second banana over all uh, of Egypt. And, and here's the truth you don't want to hear but is the truth of God, and that is this. The dungeon was essential to God's plan for Joseph. You know, they didn't say amen in the 8 o'clock service when I said that either. In fact, I had to work with them for a while. Let me try it again. The dungeon was essential to God's plan for Joseph. Amen. You see, if Joseph had not been in the dungeon, he would have not been in the right place to interpret the dream for the baker and the cupbearer. But because he was in the dungeon, he could interpret their dream. And then he had to sit there for two more years, but he was still in the dungeon where they could find him when the cupbearer said, oh yeah, there was this guy named Joseph. And it was through the cupbearer and through the dreams that he interpreted then that only could have happened in the dungeon and staying in the dungeon so they could find him in that place that he was able that God could then lift him up from the very dungeon to the second most powerful person maybe in the world. The dungeon was essential to God's plan for Joseph. Now let me say something harder. Your dungeon may be essential to what God wants to do with you in the future. Yeah, it doesn't make the dungeon any easier, any fun. It doesn't make it any better when the person forgets you and it seems like you're going to be there forever. But what if the dungeon God seems to have you in? What if the difficult place, the hard thing, is of God? Yeah, yeah no, no round amen, but it's like, yeah, okay, that's probably true. So we'll say amen right there, you know. He never would have gotten there. And so let me give you just, this is just my dad. I, I, I talk about my dad a lot. My dad was a great man, but he was not well-educated. He dropped out of school in the, the 10th grade. So he liked simple, easy things for understanding God. And this is the way he said it. And some of you will recognize this. God works in mysterious ways. Amen. God works in mysterious ways. There are so often where I go, I don't know what God's up to. You guys come to me, you think in all this school, you said, here, pastor, here's all this stuff. What's God doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. What's he, what use are you anyway? I, I don't know. God works in mysterious ways. God works in ways we don't understand. The way I tend to say it is God's will rarely makes sense in the windshield, but always makes sense in the rearview mirror. Anyone want to say amen to that? How many of you have been there where you, I have no idea what God's doing until God does the final thing, the final move, and then you go, oh, that all makes sense now. I see. Thank you, Lord. You know, that, that God works in mysterious ways. What if your dungeon is really God's path to something better? Just because you are in the pit of slavery or a dungeon doesn't mean his God has lost control of your situation. Amen? He hasn't. 
So let's look at a little more fun stuff here because I'm having trouble getting amens out of you this morning. So uh, let, let's, uh, let's look at Joseph and the, and the good life. Oop, this one ahead. I'll skip onto that one. I forgot to put that slide in there. Um, uh, back up. Okay, so let's talk about him, the good years. So, so now jo- uh, Joseph is probably 30 years old when this happens. It says he was 30 years old. So for 13 years from 17 to 30, he has been suffering either in the pit or in slavery or in Potiphar's house or, or in the dungeon. It's been a bad decade for him, okay? And now all of a sudden he is, he is, a, the, he is rich and he's single and he's famous, Pretty good, you know, at the end of 30 years and all of that. And so he's now in the, 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 the seven good years have, have begun in all of this. And, and, and he does this wonderful thing that you all know is of God, right? Like he raised the taxes really high. Yeah, no amens on that one again either. But that's exactly what he did. He started taxing the people to bring in all the, all the grain so they could create the stores of what they wanted to do. And in the midst of that, Pharaoh gives him, uh, gives him a, a wife. And out of that wife, he has a couple of sons. And there's an interesting thing that happens in that, in Joseph's two sons. And so the first one, he named Manassas. God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. God has made me forget all of the bad things that have happened to me. And there's an interesting idiom in this. If I could put this in in modern language, it would be this. God has helped me to forgive the past. It's, it's behind me. All of that stuff, all of the stuff that, that happened in slavery and in Potiphar's house and in the dungeon. I, I, I've, I've let go of all of that. All of that stuff that happened in my father's house and my, my brothers that did all that, that stuff for me. It, he named his son, literally, I have forgiven my past. I've let, I've let him go. That's a pretty good name for a kid. Next time you have a kid, name him Manassas, okay? The second one was Ephraim, which means, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Which is to say that even in the midst of all of this stuff, I've forgiven and now God has blessed my life. I am enjoying God's blessing in my life. And so I just, I just want you to see that it is in these seven years of plenty that, that, that God works. And I, I, w- I would put it like this. Seven good, years, seven good years were a time of healing and forgiveness for Joseph. A time of healing and forgiveness for Joseph. You see, I think in all of our lives, there are spaces, there are times in our lives, there are seasons of our lives where God opens the door to, to do work in us spiritually. Uh, we, we see it in child development. There's something that happens in, in junior high and high school where kids are uniquely open to what God would have them do, even into college where it's one of the reasons we sent our kids to a Christian college because we just knew that, that, that God would speak into their lives in that time. That, that then a little later on, you're, you're a little less so. There's, there's another time when you have children when you suddenly go, whoa, I have an eternal being in my presence. I better do something about this, right? There, there are seasons and there are times. And so let me, let me give you a lesson from Joseph that I think is really important. When God puts space in your life to heal and forgive, do it. Okay, no amens there. When God puts space in your life to heal and forgive, do it. Yeah, that's, that's a hard lesson from this, isn't it? Because forgiving people and healing, that's, that means we've got to open ourselves up and we've got to be vulnerable. And, and honestly, as Americans, we're not, we're not good at this. We, we tend to hide it and be ashamed of it and feel guilt about it and regret. And we pretend it didn't happen and we suppress, this, suppress it. And there, there's a whole industry of, of counseling that's built on sometimes just dealing with stuff like that. 
And don't get me wrong, I am a supporter of counseling. I believe in that, okay? But I'm telling you, if the underlying issue is you haven't forgiven somebody from your past, no amount of counseling is going to cure that. That's a spiritual problem. And you need God to open up. And, and so when God opens up that space in your life, I encourage you to take advantage of it. Let God into your broken places. Let God into your broken places. Please, please, please. That he will heal those places and, and, and do things that are amazing. And, and let me just give you, again, kind of a pastoral perspective. I've, dealt, I've been doing this a long time. I've dealt with a lot of people. And I have dealt with quite a number of people that have a place of unforgiveness in their life and they just, they just can't. And it just stunts their spiritual growth. It just, there's something about that. We are built to live clean with the past, okay? And, and, and it gets in the way and it creates all kinds of things and, and they stumble over it. Let God heal your brokenness. Let God, okay, we're going to just, nobody, well, you're probably sitting next to someone, you may know their brokenness, but pretend like you don't. Look to the person next to you and say, let God heal your brokenness. Now look to the other person and say, let God heal your brokenness. <laughs> that was awkward, wasn't it? Good, good, I mean, you know. I'm only getting to preach every third sermon or so, and so it's, it's I, you know, I've got to torture you while I can, so... So at the end of the seven years of, of plenty, they become the seven years of famine. And there's some lessons in that too. So uh, the seven years of famine. Um, and, and what happens in, in the midst of all of this is the people, uh, you know, begin to experience this uh, famine. And it records that everybody comes to Pharaoh and says, what are you going to do about this, Pharaoh? And Pharaoh looks at Joseph and that's, it says it just, he looked at him. I don't, I don't know what happened in that moment. But he just looked to Joseph, you know. He's like, you're on, dude. You better have an answer for, for all of this. And it records that Joseph opened up, opened up the gates and, and, the, and the people ate. And, and there were plenty. And so that's, just, that's amazing how God works in all of that. It's amazing how God can work if you'll follow God's plan for your life. Amen? Let him have control. And then it, then it records that, that all of the world, there was famine just all over the rest of the earth. And everyone came to Joseph. Now there's a, a thing, a little picture in that. I've told you over and over again, most of the Old Testament is pictorial theology. It's pictures of what God is like or how God works or what evil looks like. And so there's a little one we don't pick up in this. So Joseph, you know, is the second most powerful man in all of the world at this point, right? Put yourself in the ancient world. Your family is starving and you come into the presence of Joseph to ask for food. What's the first thing you do? Bow. What were his dreams about? Bow. The whole world would come to him and, and, and bow. And so uh, all of the earth is now coming to Joseph and bowing. So let me give you this great theological principle. When God fulfills a promise, God really fulfills a promise. Amen? I mean, it wasn't just his brothers that got upset about having to bow. They were like, oh, we ain't going to do this, you know. Now the whole world comes to Joseph because Joseph was faithful. All he had was faithfulness to God and this little ability to interpret dreams, which he attributed to God anyway. And God took him on this amazing sort of journey. So can I encourage you? Let me do a little survey. How many of you have had God answer a prayer in your life at some point or another? Yeah, yeah. How many of you got some prayers you're still hoping he'll answer? Yep, all of us can answer. So here's what I want you to do. Give thanks for the place where God has answered prayer. No, I mean like right now. What are you, what's going through your mind? Just, just like right now, say, thank you, God, for. Thank you, God, for. 
My children have grown up and become responsible adults in serving the Lord. Thank you, God, for my children and what you've done in their lives. That was a prayer from before they were born. That was a prayer. That was a prayer. Some of you have some other ones. I just, just take a moment here to think about this. I don't mean the little stuff, you know, like thank you that that dent wasn't all that bad in that car. Thank you, Lord, for. And now, the stuff that he hasn't. Would you just stop worrying about the ones he hasn't fulfilled yet? He has not forgotten you. Okay, some of us get a little forgetful. God is not forgetful, you know? Have you ever noticed that? He's not forgotten the stuff that he hasn't answered yet. Thirteen years for Joseph. He waited for God's answer. And when God answered, God really, really fulfilled his promises in his life. So that's, Joseph, that's the Joseph part of it. We'll do come back to him in just a little bit. But, but I do want to go um, kind of like the old-fashioned movies. Meanwhile, back in Joseph's hometown, okay, so you're ready to go back to Joseph's hometown. So I, l- listen to this in Genesis 42. When Jacob, that's Joseph's father, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, and I love this, why do you look at one another? You know? <laughs> this is basically, why are you standing here? Go get in grain. What? what? You ever done that to your kids or have your dad do that to you, you know? Why? Get moving. Go now, okay? So I, I love it. We get, you all get to heaven, you're going to be able to read Hebrew. There's so much stuff like this in Scripture, so I like this translation. And he said, behold, I have heard that is a, there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Get moving. Why are you standing there, okay? And so uh, they go down uh, to Egypt. Of course, it's a long trek for them. They show up there with Joseph there. Uh, and, of course, he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. Number one, they were not expecting him. They were not expecting him to be the second most powerful man in Egypt at that time. That would have been a stretch. And number two, he would have been done up like a pharaoh, kind of like this picture. He would not have looked like a Hebrew at that point. He would have been dressed in all of those sorts of things. And the interesting thing that happens is the very first thing they do uh, is, is it says they bow down all the way to the ground. Now, if some of you remember the first series on this, I told you that he told them that they would bow all the way to the ground. And they were particularly mad because Jews don't bow all the way to the ground. That would be a no-no. But this is such a big deal that there they are literally fulfilling the dream and bowing all the way. They're all the way to the ground on their face because they know if this doesn't work, they're going to die and their families are going to die. I'm telling you, when God fulfills, God really, really fulfills in all of that. And then uh, Joseph... um, Joseph kind of gets tough with them. In fact, he speaks really harshly to them. The very first thing he does is accuse them of being spies. Now, can you imagine standing before the second most powerful person in the world and they accuse you of being a spy? And unlike today's world, there is no due process. If he wants to have your head lobbed off, that's it. You're done right in the midst of this. So there's this, this funny thing where Joseph, you'd think, you know, he's forgiven them, so you'd think he'd just embrace them, but that's not what's going on here. So he says, I'm going to test you. He asks them to tell their story, and he says, you told me this story about this younger brother. I want you to get Benjamin. I want you to bring him here to me, okay? And, and that would have scared them to death, and he asked this specifically because he knew when they go home, dad's going to say, no way. I already lost Joseph. I don't want to lose Benjamin, all of this. And so in order to make a big impression on him, he tosses him in jail for three days, right? They've been accused of being a spy. The, Joseph has asked them to do something they cannot do, and he's tossed them in jail for three days, okay? Uh, so he's scaring 
scaring them out of their skulls, basically, in all of this. And the interesting thing happens, and there's, there's important parts in this. While they are in jail, Joseph is listening in. So they don't know he's listening in, but they wouldn't be worried about it because they're speaking in their home tongue. So nobody in Egypt could understand him anyway. But guess what? Joseph can understand them. And they have this discussion, and an important thing happens in there. And that is they begin to discuss amongst themselves, and they say, this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph. You know what we call that in Christian theology? Confession. They owned the sin, and it records that Joseph wept. Because his brothers were confessing. They, they, they were admitting that it was their fault. They were owning the sin in all of this. And so Joseph is, it just breaks him up. And yet, that's not enough. Confession isn't enough. And so he, he fills their, their, their bags with, with grain. And then he instructs that the money be put on top. And he sends them home. And they get home and they, they open up the grain. And all of a sudden, there is the money on top. And they're like, oh, no. They're going to think we stole this. We cannot go back. And not only that, we have to bring Benjamin back if we do. And they tell dad, and dad like, no way. But sooner or later, the famine gets so bad that they absolutely have no choice about the matter. And so, so they go back, and they, they bring Benjamin, and, and they're expecting the, the very, very worst because of what's gone on in them. And, in them. and, and then an amazing sort of thing happens, that, that, that when they show up, and, and Joseph, again, they don't recognize him. And so he sees Benjamin, and it, it records that he was deeply moved, because this was his brother that he was close to. And so, so Joseph does something that completely confuses them. He throws a giant banquet in their honor. You know, it's like, what's going on with this guy kind of a deal? And then he, he says, we're going to fill your bags up again, and we're going to send you back uh, to your home. And, and he does the same thing. He instructs that the money put on top, but he does even more than that. He takes his very own silver cup. Remember who it was that remembered him? The cupbearer. So he takes his very own, the second highest ranking person in Egypt, takes his cup and he says, put this in Benjamin's bag. And he sends them on their way. And he lets them get out of town in a little ways and he sends the troops after them. And they shake them down and they say, look, you've got this money you've stolen from us. And more than that, this guy Benjamin, he has literally stolen the second banana's cup. Life is over. Life is done. That's it. They drag them all back to that, that place in big trouble. And they believe that, that Benjamin is, is, is going to die. They just know it. They, they just know they're going to have to tell dad that now Benjamin is dead. And so let me just pause the story here because I want to give you why I think Joseph was doing all of that. And that is, is this. There's a huge difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You understand forgiveness is something that happens in us. Reconciliation is when the relationship is made right again. And there's a bunch of Hollywood theology out there that if somebody forgives, then you let that person back into your life. That is not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that in the Old Testament. It doesn't teach that in the New Testament. In fact, John the Baptist used to say, let them show fruit of repentance. Any of you ever tried to plant a tree and grow an apple? That is a long process, man. You've got to get it in there. It's, it takes time. And, and so what John the Baptist is talking about, he's not talking about any easy, you know, hey, I'm sorry, let's be buddies again. He's talking about a long process of establishing repentance, of really turning away from the thing that was destructive in, in someone else's life. And, and so uh, forgiveness and reconciliation, Joseph forgave. Joseph forgave before the brothers ever showed up in that place. He had forgiven years and years before. But in order to let them back into life, in order to have reconciliation, 
reconciliation, they had to repent and they had, they had to confess, own the sin, and they had to, to repent. And so here, let me tell you about forgiveness just a little bit. Forgiveness is something God instructs us to do for our own spiritual and emotional health. Okay, you understand that? that? Forgiveness is for you. God forgave you. God forgave you before you were born because God is God. We forgive because it's good for us. We forgive because we want to be like Jesus, amen? We, we, that's why we forgive. It has nothing to do with the person that, that, that's harmed you or wounded you in, in all of this. It doesn't do anything to help them a, a, at all. And, and you understand that in, in the world uh, around us. It, it could very well be that, that uh, in the, the, the world, if, if somebody steals money from you, you, you can forgive them, but it doesn't change the fact that they're probably going to jail, Right? Those are separate processes. If you, if you want to go on and live happy and not have to deal, you forgive. You, you let it go. You forgive. And the same is true with all of the other things. Forgiveness and reconciliation just aren't the same thing. But forgiveness, get this, forgiveness is the antibiotic for the infection of the soul. It's the thing that cleans you out. It's the thing that sets you free. It's the thing that gives you the opportunity to enjoy life again and, and to move on. And, and it may be that, that, that if there's not confession and, and, and repentance on there, but you may not have, be able to have that relationship restored. And let me just kind of just make this really, really clear. There, we are living in a society where lots of sexual sins of adults against children are being blasted all over. And it grieves me and angers me that that's happening in the clergy. And it may be, and I hope if that happened to you somewhere along the line, that you will be able to forgive that person, but you may never be able to be reconciled to them in this life. You may not ever be able to let children around them again, okay? Because even if they confess and they turn from their sins, that's just a risk you can't take. So you understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? Okay, you get that? Because that's really important. A lot of Christians get that, that confused. And so um, let me say this. Uh, reconciliation, restoring right relation, can only happen after the perpetrator truly repents, truly turns and goes the other direction. They stop hurting people. They stop doing what was destructive. And I believe with all of my heart that Joseph forgave, but now he was testing them to see if they had repented of their sins. Okay? They had confessed their sin. He overheard that, but he didn't know if they had repented. And here is... This is so powerful. I'm going to show you this verse. We're going to do, it's verse uh, 33 in, in chapter 44. This is Judah speaking. Remember who Judah was? Judah was the one that actually sold Joseph into slavery. Judah is the one that got in trouble with Tamar. We know his sin. We talked about that from earlier. Here's what Judah said when, when Joseph confronted them and said, I want Benjamin now, and the rest of you can go home, which they assumed they was going to kill him. Here's Judah. Judah said, now therefore, please, your servant, remain instead of the boy as a servant of my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. Do you see what that is? That is true repentance. I would rather die in Egypt than that Benjamin would die. The very Judah that had sold Joseph into slavery is now the Judah that says, take me, not him. You know what real love is? Real love is sacrificing yourself for the one you love. That's what Jesus said. All of a sudden, we've seen that Judah has not only confessed and owned his sin, but now he has truly repented of his sin. And this is an amazing... Somebody say amen in here. I mean, this is like really good stuff, okay? God has done this amazing thing in him. And he says, my life for his life through all of this. And I know... 
that moment, Joseph completely breaks down once he realizes that they have truly repented. And here's what Joseph said. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. There's a whole court of people around him. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Can you imagine that moment when he pulls off the beard and takes off the thing and, he, and they can see his makeup, probably wipe off makeup and see it and, take, and they suddenly go, this is Joseph. Now I, I have to tell you, in that moment, they may not quite have been rejoicing. Because <laughs> he's still second only to Pharaoh, okay? Revealed himself to his brothers. And so, uh, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. It's so, see, I like to think that Joseph was an emotional guy that cried because he's like me. I'm like Joseph in that day. Okay. Yeah. So the Egyptians heard it and the household of the Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? He's been wanting to ask that question from beginning, you know. But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. I'll bet they were. Okay. And Joseph brings them all down into the story, brings them all, brings dad down, puts them in Goshen, which is a really good land, sets them up in a nice place and all of that. And so let me give you, just draw out some important things in this. Number one, forgiveness is a process. It took Joseph a long time after he had, after he had hit the rich spot to do that. And it will be for you. And, and I want to encourage you when God makes space for you to forgive, take advantage of the opportunity, but it may be a, a process. It wasn't easy for him, and it may not be easy for you. And then, um, no, matter, no matter how deep the wound, God always brings good out of bad. Amen. Sold into slavery, thrown in a cistern, uh, Potiphar's house, prison, through all of that, all the way to be the one that saves the world, literally, and his family. God always brings good out of bad. In fact, this is a central theme of the scripture. We live in a world filled with suffering and pain. Have you noticed? Okay, the whole next series is going to be all about that. But at the heart of that is this idea that God brings good out of bad. What is the central story of Christianity? Resurrection. Thank you. Yay. Resurrection. And the, the whole resurrection story is that he came and he suffered for us. And then when the devil thought he had won, he lost. And Christ arose. And the power of sin and the power of death is broken. And we're going to live forever. Yes, that, that's it. it. God always brings good out of bad, and God will do that in, in, in your life. And listen, here's how it worked in Joseph's life. Uh, there we go. And, and, that, and this is Joseph speaking and to his brothers. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Yep. <laughs> For God sent me. See that change in perspective? Before you to preserve life. And it may be that the stuff that's going on in you and all the things that happen to you are ways in which God has prepared, prepared you to preserve life. That you may not see it in the, in the windshield, but one day you may see in the rearview mirror that God sent you into those places and that God is using you for powerful things. Because I believe with all of my heart that forgiveness opens the door to God's blessing and purposes in our lives. 
If he hadn't got past that, they never would have happened to, to have been reconciled to them. It's so important. Let God in. Let forgiveness happen in, in your life. And then the, just this last one. I know this one isn't in the notes, but this is another one that my dad used to like to say that I just think captures this whole thing very well. And if our musicians could come, um, let go and let God. Amen. Let go and let God. <laughs> Let go of the past. Let go of the hurt. Let go of the places that you have been wounded. Let God into that and let him heal in those places in order that you might let God take control of your life. That you might let him do the thing he wants to do. Maybe there's somebody whose life needs to be preserved by you. Now, you're probably not going to save the whole world, okay? But you may save somebody and you may need to let go in order to let God work in your life in that way. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, this is such a great story. I just love the story of Joseph. And I wish I could share all the other things that go on in his life, Father. So many difficult things. And yet it is an amazing story of forgiveness and confession and reconciliation. And Father, I desire that for these people, Lord. I pray, Father, even now that you would make space in their life to forgive some people from the past, maybe some events from the past, because, because you can use those things for really good stuff, Father, if they'll let go and let you have charge of it. But I pray also, Father, that you would restore relationships where that can happen. And I understand, Father, there, there are some that for safety reasons can't be restored. But for those that can, Father, would you just do that? Would you just make us a church that forgives and a church that seeks forgiveness, a church, Father, Lord, give us the courage to confess when we're the one that's done the wounding, Lord, and to repent and to show fruit of repentance, Father, that we might be reconciled. For your whole message was that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Father. Make us that people. Make every one of us like that, Father, that you might be glorified. We love you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to worship uh, the Lord in giving and, and in song this morning. Yeah. Woo!